It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 243, The Diadochi, The Great Library of Alexandria, and the Septuagint. Daniel 8.2 In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared before me. In my vision I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west, and the north, and the south. No man could stand against it, and no one could rescue it from its power. It did as it pleased, and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with the prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal, and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but the height of its power, the large horn, was broken off. And in its place, four prominent horns grew up between the four winds of heaven. And just like last episode, not to prevent any doubts by the readers, An angel interprets the vision with extreme clarity. And we add the next verse. Daniel 8.21 The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. After the death of Alexander, the world is in shock. They don't believe the news far away in Greece, and shortly after, a scramble occurs for his world. Who will rule his empire? And it gets very confusing, and I won't bore you with the details, except that at about 20 years later, four of his generals end up splitting his empire. And there are some battles as the boundaries are set, and the descendants of the generals find it easier to war with each other. The four winners are the following, and they come to be known as the Diadochi, Greek for successors. And there's at least four wars of the Diadochi. And by 301 BC, the true successors are clear. The lines are drawn and who would dominate Alexander's old empire. Cassandra basically gets Greece. Ptolemy gets Egypt to part of Israel, which will be in contest. Lysimachus gets modern Turkey, most of it, all the way to Greece. Seleucus gets the rest of the old Persian empire to the east with only a portion of modern Turkey, all the way to even a portion of Israel, which will be in hot contest. And our story will intersect as the descendants of the Seleucids and Ptolemy fight over Israel. But we haven't got there yet. In fact, Daniel 8 covers it clearly, and you can read ahead if you want. Our story now shifts to the position of Israel, and something that occurs in Egypt is is quite fascinating. And if you consider Israel right now, the people and the nation are rebuilding. But now they're rebuilding with a bit of confusion on who are their overlords. 
First of all, imagine the Jewish people now. They, they flip seamlessly from Persian to Greek loyalties. Now they're stuck in a place between the Seleucid and Ptolemy interest. They honestly want to live in peace like the rest of us with self-government, but it's going to get nasty soon. In the meantime, an amazing blessing happens, which lasts the generations, and it comes from Egypt. Once Ptolemy becomes ruler of Egypt, his rule is stable, and he builds the famed lighthouse of Alexandria, one of the great wonders of the world. His successor, Ptolemy II, Philadelphus, continues at another one of his projects. He founds a library, which comes to be known as the Great Library of Alexandria. Ancient sources describe the Library of Alexandria as a modern university-type campus, with huge sections set aside to compile works of the world. One entry I found historically was that the Ptolemaic rulers intended the library to be a collection of all knowledge, and they worked to expand the library's collections through an aggressive and well-funded policy of book purchasing. And I also read they dispatched royal agents with large sums to accumulate the world's works. This is incredibly ambitious. This would be a goal of a national library to collect all the nation's works. And this isn't possible really today because it's endless, the amount of literature that's out there. But nations thrive to do it. In this age, I, I think it, in the age of the Library of Alexandria, though, I would think it was doable. And not just doable on a national scale, but on a worldly scale. To collect all the literary works of the world at that time, I, I believe could have actually been achievable given the illiteracy and the small amount of works in existence. This could have been achieved, in my opinion. The very wealthy Greeks and Egyptians had the resources, and they, they bought the Greek works that were known in their age, or at least a copy, right? And they started to look east. The religious works of the world were needed, right? If you have the goal of every book in the world, you need the world scrolls of prophecy and religion. The ancient Google of the day needed to be completed. Also, everything was to be translated to Greek, and there was a backlog in translations, but they needed to start the process looking east to start to get the rest of the works, and, and it wouldn't have taken that long for them to, to get a copy of nearly everything from Greece. And then the Egyptian works, and then they had to start looking east. And then also someone must have said, we've got to get all the works of religion and all the works of prophecy. Their neighbors to the east, the Jews, had scrolls and scrolls of religious text. They were in Hebrew. These needed to go in their library. Why translate it when they could do it themselves? And the story goes, which I must confess, sounds like it's more Jewish tradition or legend than fact, but it's hard to prove out ancient history with our limited re references. We know they created a work called the Septuagint. Where we lose track in history is who exactly funded it. Most likely it was Ptolemy, or the, the second Ptolemy Philadelphus. He contacts the Jews and asks for them to translate the essential Old Testament scrolls from Hebrew to Greek for his library. The ancient Google needed completed. Now I want to point out one more thing. If the goal of the library was to bring to bear every book ever written, and this includes everything from how-to books on construction. You know, they didn't call them books back then, right? I do this just because it's easier to say. Uh, they were scrolls or manuscripts or, you know, maybe they were ancient works written on stone. Uh, I'm calling them books for simplicity. 
and you know it included every they wanted everything from construction books to shipbuilding books to ancient medicine to cooking every book in the world even on sorcery and witchcraft and every religion even every religion that worships idols in the world it's all there and they want to add everything religious now from Judaism to Zoroaster to their collection and maybe they they have ex- explorations and contacts even further east they want it all all the knowledge in the world plus all the curses and blessings of the religious works all of it imagine the darkness in some of these old scrolls of ancient egyptian curses who knows maybe they had some wicked stuff back to the days of balaam and also one more thing everything gets translated into greek as well so now we shift back to jewish tradition the old testament has a collection of scrolls that wasn't packaged together in a book as we know it at this time. It was scrolls and scrolls in Hebrew. The Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek, and it was called the Septuagint, which means 70 in Latin. The story is that six members of each of the 12 tribes participated in the effort. It was probably a privilege for these scholars, and it brought a financial windfall for them to participate. In the end, the Septuagint is created, and the Old Testament is now available in Hebrew, the Jewish language, and Greek, the leading language of commerce and political power in the world. Ptolemy was probably given the official copy, and if he was a lover of books in his day, he probably read it. And due to the invention of the library and the building of the greatest library to date, the word of God just spread to Egypt. Literary evangelism. Ptolemy may not have been evangelized by a person, but he was by the word himself. There's always a reward when you read the word with an open heart. Who knows, maybe Ptolemy will be in heaven one day. In addition, the many scholars who lived and worked and invented in the library now had access to the word which now rested in a foreign library for the first time in history. Literary evangelism. Interesting fact. Everyone knows Billy Graham, America's evangelist. Millions were saved in the late 20th century in his evangelism events and crusades. Did you know his son Franklin and his grandson William hold events today? And they have a far less response and count to their evangelism events than his father. But online, they have a website optimized for searching that's led over four times more people to convert to Christianity. The father was anointed to preach in stadiums. The son was anointed to preach online. One had a dramatic impact in stadiums. The other had a dramatic impact through literary evangelism. A simple compilation of Old Testament scrolls now in Greek was leading people to God in an old dusty library. And another huge reason for Alexander's conquest and the importance of unification brought by Alexander's merger of East and West via conquest Culturally unified with Greek as the primary language of commerce and business, the Greek Old Testament will play its part in our story coming up. Many of the New Testament quotes from the Hebrew Bible are taken from the Septuagint. It's clear that the Septuagint was often used by the New Testament writers. And one more thing, the use of Greek enhanced the word. The Greek language was much more precise than any other language. Just compare the word love in the English to Greek. The simple word love in English has four ancient Greek words in the Bible. Agape, sorge, phileia, eros. 
we now have language precision for our story. During this episode, we fast forward our story to the time of Julius Caesar, 48 BC, Alexandria. Civil war has broken out in the Roman Empire. Julius Caesar has chased his enemy, Pompey, to Egypt, where Egyptians have killed Pompey to court his favor, and this backfires on them. Caesar ends up in a palace at Alexandria, where, according to some accounts, Cleopatra is embroiled in a civil war of her own. She's enrolled from a rug where she was hidden and snuck into his palace. Cleopatra won in Caesar's favor over his enemies. She succeeds, and soon after, Caesar is besieged inside the palace, which is adjacent to the library. They ended up besieging Caesar, who was undermanned at the time, and a fire broke out. Caesar was able to hold off the Egyptians, but in the end, the accounts vary, but one of them states over 40,000 scrolls were burned in the conflagration. The differing accounts seem to want to hide the fact that Caesar was quite responsible for the loss. The library was virtually destroyed in a fire on this day, and its contents were in cinders. By morning, the remnants of the great library was only ashes. All the collections of knowledge to date. It's such a picture Caesar will go down to, and upon his death, the Roman Republic will end and free governments, and the rapid increase in knowledge and wisdom that had been accumulated will be gone to history for ages. With the library, we have unspeakable loss of knowledge. Imagine Google dying tomorrow. Unspeakable. The ancient Google did die in a day. A tragedy of immense portions. But what about the spiritual side? Gone was the witchcraft and demonic religious text. Gone was the Septuagint. But this isn't true. Anything of importance had a copy in someone's home or library. What happened was the loss of rare books. Like going to a library or a used bookstore today, the treasure is in the eye of the beholder and their needs and likes. Anything of true value probably had a copy. It's the random one-hit wonders that got lost. Imagine all the nameless poets and playwrights. One-hit wonders of musical culture or the fads of antiquity and fashions that were lost. It's the everyday history, the newspaper articles of sorts that were lost to history. A great tragedy. The Septuagint survived. Other works survived. I must admit the house-cleaning of sorts of the ancient books of witchcraft and demonic religions was probably a plus. Maybe a principality and its memories had to go in the resetting of nations and spiritual realms. Maybe we can learn more one day in the library of heaven. Imagine the books in heaven and the one that shows what happened in the spirit during our struggles of this age. In fact, there are books in heaven. There's the book of life and other books in heaven. I have to believe that there is a great library in heaven. And one day we, as students of history um, and the Bible, we can go there and see what works heaven has created. Let's conclude with this guy, Ptolemy, and how this applies to you and me. The great achievement from our story of the Great Library was the public funding of the Septuagint and its influence in the New Testament times. Consider the passion for books that Ptolemy had and how God used it. Consider how the library built becomes the passion for more learning and more books until the Septuagint gets a sponsor and God's Word becomes part of the world and spread through the library. 
Consider how God put this desire in a secular leader to fulfill his evangelism and teaching in the world. It's no wonder that Ptolemy's lasted to the time of the destruction of the library and longer than all the other successors of Alexander, because they spread God's word and blessed his cause. Now consider Google, or better yet, what about that American military lab that which invented the internet which we know today? In God's mind, this internet was an opening of the gospel to the four corners of the globe. Anyone in any country with an unlimited internet can find anything they want on the internet. This can be terrible, yet also the greatest blessing of all. The greatest blessing is that they can find a million sermons out there, and the road to salvation can be found with a simple Google search. What God began with the spread of the word through literary evangelism with the great library continues to this present day. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.